Good morning, everybody. How you guys doing? Good morning. My name is Gio Garcis, and if you're visiting with us this morning, we're really glad you're here on the 30th of December. Well, you guys must really like coming to church. You guys are here on the 30th of December. Come on. Um, you know, we just finished up a series uh, last week, and we're starting a brand new series. Uh, and it's about and, and just trying to find ourselves. If you've watched TV lately, I, I don't know about you, but I find myself yelling at the TV lately. You know, I get so frustrated and so mad at what's going on in our country. And whenever our country and the Bible, biblical principles intersect, us as evangelists and ministers, we have to, we have to at least address that with you. Because you guys watch the news too, and you guys know what's going on, and you're probably just as frustrated as I am. And, I, you know, you probably find yourself talking back to the TV, whether it's CNN or Fox News or Headline News or, or KTLA. You're, you're upset. I mean, today our country is meeting together just to, just to resolve a financial situation. They're taking a vote today just to, just to resolve so we don't fall over. They're not going to fall over the cliff. We're going to fall over the cliff. And sometimes that just gets me a little upset, doesn't it? So today's uh, uh, part one of a two-week series about really uh, finding ourselves not, not only as a country, but also as the people of this great country. And as you heard some of the great presidents, you know, uh, if you notice in those little uh, uh, voice clips, audio clips, you notice that they're invoking the name of God. They, they, they do that on purpose because uh, historically our nation was founded on being accountable to God. So I'm going to talk about that for the next two weeks. If you came here this morning and you, you didn't really want to hear a lot of the Bible, you're probably not going to hear a lot of the Bible this morning. I only got one passage to show you. But next week, come back. There's going to be a lot of passages next week. So this week's going to be a little different. But I wanted to get a concept across to all of us is that when, we, when, we, when, the, when the prosperous people no longer recognize the source of their prosperity, they become ungrateful. And their ingratitude eventually evolves into greed. Now, by eliminating this from our national conversation, by eliminating God from the national conversation, we eliminate to recognize publicly the source of our nation, which is God. It eats away at our national conscience, our sense of ought and ought nots. You know, every man will eventually do what's right in his own eyes without a conscience. No gratitude, no God, no accountability, no moral consensus on right and wrong. And so what happens in, in countries like this, law tries to replace your conscience. They'll write a law to, to, to make sure that you don't violate a conscience. And, uh, you know, I, I, I watch TV and the news, I try to keep up, and, you know, it's a little bit frustrating. Very frustrating to watch our country argue over the most frivolous things at times. Uh, when they just want to get reelected every year, and yet we're struggling, and we're hurting, and the unemployment rate is skyrocketing, and the, you know they have insurance. Some of us don't have insurance. You know we're we're the people of the nation. You know we are the people, as the Constitution says. So when these when these interact here, when they intersect, the Bible has something to say. You know you can frame, and the current debate is framed as this: rich versus not rich. Um, it's framed as 
capitalism versus socialism. Uh, it's also framed as big government big versus big business. Uh, Republicans versus Democrat. You know, and I don't know where you lie on that scope, and I really don't care. What I care about is there's another contrast that's being framed. One that if we don't take it seriously, if we don't go back and understand our roots as a country, we're in danger of becoming an ungrateful people to the great things that God's given us. So uh, we have to go back to our roots. But before I tell you what this is, before I spend some time talking about it, I want to first talk about searching for a conscience, not just nationally, but individually, as a person. So to understand this, we have to first look at conscience. It's that internal part of us that informs our oughts, and our ought-nots. Everyone's born with a certain right and wrong. Right? Everyone grows up, that's wrong, this is right. But it's a moral code. It's what you live by. And when you violate your conscience to you, it brings this feeling of guilt. And either you try to undo what you just did, or you try to change and make up for what you just did. You know that guilty feeling? I feel guilt because I violated an ought not to according to me. Mm -hmm. And when we violate that enough times, when you do that enough times, the volume gets lower and lower and lower. You know when you first violate your conscience, your heart starts to go... You're like, you know this is not right. You know when you come out of McDonald's driveway and you, have your, you, finish, your, you finish your Big Mac and you toss that Big Mac out the window while you're driving? I shouldn't have done that. Why did I do that? I don't want to do that. Right? You're like, you know, some of us are going, that is totally wrong. But for a while in my life, that was totally normal. Because my mama didn't teach me about, you know, picking up your... My mom picked up, every, up after me every day of my life. So I just figured the trash guy was going to get that. <laughs> but now I know, like now that I have, now that I have been taught by my wife, you know, not to do that. I now have a conscience about that. My, when you open my car door, in my car, there is a load of trash in my car door. It's like sticking out because I stuff all the trash in this little sleeve they give you in your car. It's just stuff, and after every gas station I go to, I have to unload that trash. <laughs> the price I pay for a conscience. Um, families and communities have a shared collective conscience. You know, there are things that you do and just don't do. You ever go visit a family and go on like, think that family has different, a different standard. You know, when you go play with your kids and your kids are wondering if they can, you know, can we jump off the roof into the pool? And they're looking at it and, the, and your kids are going like, mom, what do we do? <laughs> And their kids are doing that's fun for them, but you're like, what? Well, they're a little bit much of a wild bunch, you know. You, you kind of, you, whenever you visit a family, you come face to face with a different set of standards and consciences yep. of what they do is oh, that's okay. Uh, they don't finish their food, mom. They're not finishing their food. What do I do? Does that mean I don't have to finish my food? <laughs> you, you see it always. You see it whenever you interact with a family. You also see it if you ever started up a company, you and your buddies. Yeah, you don't have to tell your buddies. Hey, man, don't steal the office equipment. 
You don't got to tell your friend that because you started the company together. You don't have to worry about your friend stealing and, and taking the computers home and selling them on eBay because you're in it together. There's a shared collective. You know, this is our company. We're not going to rip off our own company. It's a collective conscience. They, they agree with you. Oh, wherever you go to church, you know, the culture of church is smiles and hugs and it's great to see you. Glad you're visiting. It's awesome. Because no one usually saying to yourself, what are you doing visiting our church? You know, you don't really get that at church very much. How dare you show up to our church? We don't get that. That's, that's against the culture, right? Um, you got a family culture. What's offensive to you may not be offensive to somebody else. You know? Uh, what's offensive to you may be, you know, when you see your kids going to someone else's house and they're watching a rated R movie, and that's fine, their house, that's normal. But you're going, what's happening here? It's not a collective conscience. You know, in a healthy marriages, how many rules do you have? You know, in, in a relationship of a shared conscience, you don't have too many rules. You don't have too many laws. There's a consensus of right and wrong. You know, we, you know, a healthy marriage is, I don't have to have a lot of laws in my marriage. Okay, Karen, this is the rule. Wake up every morning. I've got to remind you of the rule. The rule is, whoever's last out of bed makes the bed. I want to remind you of the rule. There's just a collective, we're in this together. Karen, Karen, the dishes are piled up in the kitchen. The rule is, that's your department. Right? In a, in a, mar in a healthy marriage, you just pitch in. You're, you're in it together. You don't need rules to establish who does what. At first, Karen and I did that. Okay, this is your church. This is mine. If you violate your church, I'm not here to help you. I'm focusing on my chores. <laughs> it was an unhealthy atmosphere. It caused a lot of stress. Then as we grew together, we realized that, you know, I, 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 actually, Karen convinced me that we're a team. <laughs> so how I grew up, there wasn't a team in my house. It was fend for yourself type atmosphere. So... I had to learn, you know, in, in healthy cultures, in healthy nations, it's ruled by conscience. Yeah. There's a right and there's a wrong. There's a right and a wrong. You know, if you have to tell your employees not to take office products home, there's a problem <laughs> in your collective conscience. You know, that's why hopefully when they hire you, they're hiring someone that doesn't want to rip off the company. You know, they're looking for a collectively shared... Is he share our values? Is this person going to cook the books and embezzle money? They're, they're concerned about that, and they should. Just like families, just like communities, and just like teams, we share a collective conscience as well. You know, I don't know if you knew this, but abortion is legal in every single state of the Union. Every 50 states... It is, it, is, it is totally legal to, for a woman to abort her child. Now, what, what I didn't know, what I found out in the research, is that it differs from state to state. Some states, you know, say you can do it up to eight months in abort. Other states, you, can all, you only have up to four, three months. But when, when is it okay to do that? Three, four months, five months, six months, seven when is it okay as a nation? When is that okay to do? You know, in some states, in, in, in part of our union, they've agreed and they, they feel fine in their conscience with 
smoking marijuana just leisurely. Yeah. That's just past. You know, in our nation, we have, we have laws, but in, in, their, in their community, they have a collectively shared conscience that it's totally fine to smoke marijuana just to kind of have a nice time. Yeah? That's, that's the state of Colorado. That's okay for them. They have a collectively shared conscience. So let me give you some examples of our nation having a collectively shared conscience. And if you know your history, you'll, you'll enjoy this. You know, the nation of England, it, it really disturbed them to see Africans being shipped from their homeland and being made slaves. And see, their, see them when they got sick or when, when, when they couldn't feed them anymore on the long travel to dump them into the ocean as if it was a bag of rice. So England said, that is not right. And the United States says, we agree with you, it's not right. It was the anti-slavery movement. That is, it, it, it awakened us. We're like, whoa, that is just wrong. To throw little children into the ocean to drown. To throw the mother 50 at a time. Or if you got sick, you got thrown overboard. And you landed into a country where you were born into slavery. It bothered the conscience. It is not right. The civil rights movement. 1950s. Some of you old enough to experience that. Some of you guys lived through that. It wasn't right. It awoken us. Have different bathrooms. I couldn't ride on the same. I couldn't touch someone who was an African descent. It awoken us. We're like, well, that's not right. And we passed a law saying, hey, they're just as equal as we are. We have child pornography laws. It bothers our conscience to see a little infant, two, three-year-old being forced into sexual acts. It makes us cringe. It bothers our conscience. That is just wrong. I don't know why. That's just wrong. I don't need a law to tell me that's crazy. We don't let grown men marry 11-year-olds. That's just wrong. Amen. We don't do that. There are things that bother us, but we don't need a law for it. It just, it just bothers our conscience. It's just not right. We put in labor laws for children because children are being worked 18 hours a day in factories. Okay, laws. You can't do that. We don't throw trash on the road. Now, you see when you're on the freeway, it's a thousand dollar fine. And I still see trash. <laughs> it's not like, you know, when is that ever enforced, you know? I want to tell the officer, I never dump trash on the road. I know it was going a little fast, but you, yeah, yeah. I don't, look at the freeway, it's dirty. I don't do that. Look at my, look at my car door. Look in there. I should argue that. But the fact was I was going fast. They have laws. Because we've created laws to say, hey, it's dangerous to go fast. It's dangerous to drive reckless. But here's the good thing about a conscience. When you violate it, you feel guilty. Yeah. And in a relationship of a shared conscience, you don't have many laws and rules. You just... It's just the way it's just the way that's just wrong. We don't do that. That's wrong. Look at your family. We don't do that. 
We don't do that. I don't know why. We just That's just wrong. We don't do it. But your conscience, at one point, it has to be informed. Now, we all have a, we grow up with a right and wrong, but you also your conscience is informed. And if you have children, you're informing your child on what's right and what's wrong. You're informing them. They have, they have to know what it is. And we're all different. But I'll show me a person that has a, has a moral conscience. And I'll show you that someone actually taught them some yeah. right and wrongs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in, uh, we start when they're young. Right? You know, we're taught not to steal, cheat, and lie. Right? Yeah. Don't cheat. Don't lie to me. We're taught not to litter if you're an American. <laughs> we're taught things that are related to morality. That's what we're taught. The earlier that we're taught, the more deeply we hold to these beliefs. The earlier. So here's the question. What informed our national conscience? What informed it? Informed us? Now, some countries, they do things that bother us. But they don't seem to be bothered by the things we do. But we're bothered by what they do. Some countries will stone a single woman for being pregnant. We're like, that's great, that's wrong. But to them, that's absolutely fine. It's a collectively shared conscience that if you're pregnant and you're single, you're not married, that's okay with us. In some countries, if you're poor, they shun you. Because in the previous life, you did something so terrible that in this life, you're poor. They want to make sure you suffer, so they shun the poor. We're going like, how do you, that's, to them, it's absolutely the right thing to do. For us, we're, that is horrible. That is terrible. So, what informs, bless you, what informs our conscience? You know, what we think is cruel, other countries think is right. So our national conscience, if you live in America long enough, you know this, it was, it was shaped by our accountability to God. Our nation was set up to have a national conscience that's accountable to God. Old Testament, New Testament. And the, se- and, 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 the, and, the se- and the and the sentence in the Declaration of Independence says this. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, Paul in the Bible wrote the scripture explaining why the Gentiles, these were non-religious people who were starting to come into the church, and here's Paul's observation of them when they are looking out, when they're not someone who did not grow up with the law, did not grow up with the Bible, 
he writes, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law. In other words, they, they obey the law almost some, in some ways naturally, right and wrong. They are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts now accusing, now even, even defending them. Paul makes an observation that even the Gentiles, they didn't have the Bible and they still were in compliance to God in some respects because they had a conscience. They had a right and a wrong. There are some things that are right to you and wrong to you. And Paul's acknowledging that. So what informed our national conscience? God. God shaped us. God made us. And we decided to become a country that's accountable to the Creator Himself. Amen. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men were created equal. You know, the hypocrisy when it was written was that the writers of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they themselves had slaves. So they were battling with the hypocrisy. Yes, all men are equal, yet I have a slave. They were trying to find their conscience. They knew it was right to free all men. All men should be free. Yet yet the hypocrisy was still there. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, you can take the pursuit of happiness way far, huh? Way far. As we see today in our country, pursuit of happiness can be taken to extremes. Very, very strange. You know, our Pledge of Allegiance. In the 1950s, they took a line from Abraham Lincoln's uh, address and changed our Pledge of Allegiance to put this phrase, that we... Here, highly resolve, this is, the, this is Abraham Lincoln addressing uh, the people after the Gettysburg battle, which thousands of soldiers died. He says, we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. That we were trying to find our conscience again. The Civil War was a war that said, one side says, hey, we cannot have slaves. The other side says, we need them for our economy. You take away our slaves, you make us all poor. We're willing to fight for that. And there you have the Civil War. And what came of the Civil War was a national conscience <clears throat> that we're accountable. What Abraham Lincoln said to us was that we are accountable under God. And that line under God in the 1950s was put in our Pledge of Allegiance. It's the only time our kids at school get to say, God. They get a moment in the beginning 
They get a phrase. God gets a phrase under God. But you say, you say anything under that and your school will get sued. Lawsuits will fly if you mention God outside of the Pledge of Allegiance. In 1956, the 84th Congress passed a joint resolution to replace the existing national model, which for the old model was e pluribus unum, which means from many one, it's Latin, to our new national model, which is today, who can, who can give our national model? No, it's not, it takes one to know one, that's not the national model. <laughs> and God we trust is our national motto. It was passed, it was put into law, President Eisenhower signed it in 1956, and in 1964, our national motto, motto, was put on coinage. That's why on your dollar bill, that's why on your coin, it says, in God we trust. In other words, we're saying that we trust God. For all the teachers in the audience, try saying that at school. We, class, we just want to start out with our national motto. We trust God. You might find yourself in trouble. You might find yourself suspended without pay. And all you're saying is the national motto, that's a law. National motto. You know, companies have mottos. 3M has innovation. AT&T has your world delivered. <laughs> Verizon has the motto, can you hear me now? <laughs> we can say those, but we can't say ours. In God, we trust. When was the last time you heard an American president say, nation, we, ha we have to trust God? You heard some old clips, but I haven't heard that recently. You know, every uh, inauguration, the government gets sued because they're trying to eliminate the pledge of a president not to say, um, so help me God. Every inauguration, a group sues our government just so that phrase shouldn't and should not be used. Our national motto. Accountability to God and God talk has fallen out of favor. You know, the application of church and state gets stranger and stranger and stranger as we get older. It becomes very odd. And, and we use the rights given to us by God, and then we distance ourselves from God. You have rights. But are you drawing closer and closer to God to be accountable to Him? In your conscience? Or is your conscience so seared, we feel we've, we're past the guilt. We're past doing it. We're past feeling bad about it. It's just the way it is now. You ever see that comment? That's just the way it is. We've done it so many times. It's just the way it is. I can't change. I don't want to change. And by eliminating God from our national conversation, we eliminate our ability to publicly recognize the source of our prosperity. And if you eat, a, eat away at the national conscience, we start eating away at our sense of ought and ought not to. Yeah. Just, just look at yourself for a moment. There was a time in your life, you're still a good person, when you remember you lived without accountability to God. 
You just lived your life on how what you thought was right or wrong, and you, had, and you made some decisions today. You're going, man, what was I thinking back then? Remember those times? You're just going, I live for myself. I live for what I feel is right and wrong. Without an accountability to God. And then we made these decisions that we're now going like, wow, why, why, why did I do that? Yeah. You know, for the life of me, as I look back now at 41 looking back, why was I so selfish to have an abortion with my girlfriend? My conscience was so seared. So, oh, that's it's inconvenient. That can't happen. Well, today it breaks my heart. Amen. He'd be 19 years old. Breaks my heart. Back then it didn't. What's the difference? My conscience got informed by God. God informed my conscience. And it made me different. And if we lose that sense, as a people of this nation, because we are the nation, the politicians aren't the nation. We're the nation. It's our conscience elects an official. It's our people who do the elections. Because when we eliminate God from our lives, we lose our conscience. So if you want to line up behind the argument rich versus not rich, capitalism versus socialism, big government versus big business, Republicans versus Democrat. Let me let, let tell, you, tell you something. There are two other lines forming. Those who recognize God as the ultimate source and provision and those who do not. Yeah. Those who are not ashamed to say, in God we trust. And those who say, in American ingenuity, we trust. In we, we trust. Yeah. You know, it's interesting how we'd rather offend God than offend unbelievers. Isn't that interesting? Right. Let's offend the Creator and not the unbeliever. It's grateful and accountable versus ungrateful and unaccountable. Who are we? We're not only Christians, we're citizens. We're citizens of a country that was founded on being accountable to God. That's what makes our nation so great. That's why we skyrocketed in less than 200 years. We are the most powerful nation in all the world. Someone say we're losing our authority, which is fine. But we skyrocketed. And we've maintained. Why? Because our national conscience is accountable to a creator. God. Did it start out perfect? Certainly not. Certainly not. But you can tell... The founding fathers were struggling with it. They knew this was wrong. They, they put it in the document to set all men free, even though they didn't have the political courage to do it themselves. Think about you making a great change in your life. Think about 
the, the biggest decision of your life. It is a hard process to change. Imagine becoming a spiritual man at your job. How to navigate the politics there. Right? How to maneuver and, and, and still say, in God we trust, national motto. We take God out of our schools. And that's who the consciences we want to inform. And as parents, Inform your children of right and wrong. You're instrumental in helping their conscience have one that's accountable to God. So I'm going to give you a homework assignment for next week, or next two weeks. I want you to find, this is something for yourself, I just think you should do this. Find a written example, or, or a spoken record, or audio clip, of a United States president praying. Find one. Another, number two, if you can't find that one, number two. <laughs> List some examples of our national leaders evoking God's help in our current crisis or giving God credit for anything good. Try to find something in our nation. Give you a glimpse of our national conscience. That is our homework. Because what we want to do in the next two weeks is we're trying to search and we're trying to find our conscience.